0: Thank you so much and it is so so good to be here. you know I was here for the first birthday of uh, um, Coast Vineyard and whoa, look at it what's happened? Everybody's been going forth and multiplying. It's great. Uh, what Matt didn't tell you is that he and I have been friends since we were 13 years old. We were in youth group together in the uh, St. James Presbyterian Church in Pukekohe. His dad played the organ and Matt in those days was short. I don't know what happened but he was even shorter than me, and now I don't even like to stand next to him, you know, unless I've got uh, platform shoes or something like that, but he he ate his Week-Bix, you know. He uh, And then I got to meet him again uh, when we came into the Vineyard Movement, and Jacinda and Matt have been a tremendous support uh, they have encouraged us. They taught us so much when we first arrived and opened a whole lot of doors for us. So these guys have been sort of lifelong friends for us. Uh, our kids have grown up with their kids. We've stayed in their house number of numbers of times. We love their beautiful daughters and now son-in-law, and it's just just uh, been, been a lovely time. It's wonderful having like, uh, friends like them, but I just want to congratulate them uh, just on an amazing church that this is. You know, I, I come in here, and this just feels like, hi, Nairi. Nairi came from our church. Oh, we send all our best people up here to... <clears throat> well, you need to send a few of your good people down, man, Your fair exchange. No, um, you know, these guys really inspire me. You know, I've been going around the church and taking photos and saying, we need to do this, we need to do this, you know? You guys are an inspiring a bunch, bunch of people. And uh, I, I just want to let you know that, that Managers Cinder are quality leaders. You know, many times over the years, I've rung them up and said, hey, what do we do about this? Or, what are your opinions of this or that? And they're just good, quality, quality people. So you're in, in very good hands. But whoa. This is so good to be here and just see how healthy everything is. And you've got uh, Stanley and Rachel as well. I mean, the story, the story gets better. Uh, we've known these guys for a number of years as well. And um, I've always secretly thought if they ever came back down to Christchurch, and I sort of kept my eye on them, and then the next thing, Matt and Jacinda have got them, and I think. But, you know, I want to tell you that these guys are amazing people as well. So you've got the A team here. You really do. And the All Blacks have won. I mean, oh, my goodness. You know, and it's your sixth birthday. I mean, it's, and it's raining outside. And you know. I've got to tell you a very quick, funny story. My, I stayed with my parents last night, and uh, they, love, um, they love getting this, there's this little roast place. And they said, oh, could, we, could, we, could you get us a roast? And mum said, I don't feel like going out to it. Can you go and get a roast? So I said, I'll go and get it for you. So I drove in my car down Dominion Road, and uh, all of a sudden, it just became really, really busy. And I knew the rugby was on, but I just didn't click because I'm not an Auckland guy. That M- Mount Eden is down there. And it got busier and busier. And then all of a sudden, the police came past with this huge bus saying, All Blacks. And I thought, you know, I'm not going to get very far down this road. So I thought, I'm going I'm to take a long tour. because mum and dad have this special place that they love buying their roast. <laughs> So I took the long way right down St Luke's Road, over to Western Springs, on the motorway, up Newton Road, um, you know, right down onto Simon Street and then down to this little roast place that they really love. And I got there and it was closed. (laughs) So I thought Auckland. But anyway, um, the ironic thing is they've got a little roast place that they don't like quite as much, but it's about one minute from their house. So I ended up by buying the roast there, and I went home, and we watched an awesome, awesome all-black game. So that was very cool. But you know, um, I want to congratulate you on finding this amazing church home. But I'm not here just to congratulate you today. I want to fire you up and get you excited, because I want to tell you that while this is a great church, and while you've got your balloons, and you've got your cupcakes, and all the celebration today, you are much more important than balloons and cupcakes, You have got such an important task to do in this community. Do you know only 14% of Kiwis go regularly to church? And when we say regularly, we're sort of talking about once a month. That's how how much regular is these days. 14%. It's just so low. And, And so you come along to a place like this, and we hear the gospel, and we have amazing worship. Weren't the worship team awesome this morning? Wasn't that so good? But I want to tell you something, this church is the hope of the community. I, was, I haven't driven through Oriva for a long time, and I've always loved coming here when I come, and I, I drive through, and there's all these people out there walking, and they're running, and they're jogging, and they're probably people that don't know Jesus. And I turn around into Riverside Road or drive or whatever it is, and suddenly I arrive here, and do you know what? This is the hope of the community. You may not realize this, but but you are the hope of this community. You're the hope of the Hibiscus Coast, along with other churches. But if people want to find Jesus, they come along to a place like this. It's less likely that God's just going to turn up in people's houses. The most likely place that God is going to come is to one of his communities, the church. Because according to the Bible, this is where you come if you want to encounter God. You know, in the Bible it says, where two or three people gather together, I'm going to be there amongst them. Jesus is here today. And I tell you, when God's people get together, when the Holy Spirit's here, things happen. I'm sure it's the same with you, but every week in our church, we have people come along who have never been in church before in their lives. And they come along, and you watch them, and after a wee while, tears start to trickle down their faces. And they come up, and they start unloading things that are going on in their lives. And you realize that no matter how weak your efforts are, and the, you know, the, the video projector may not have worked, and you know, the guitarist may have broken a string, and the pastor may have forgotten his notes, but the Holy Spirit's here. And people get a chance to encounter God. And I was one of those uh, young men, uh, oh, 30 years ago, crept into the back of a church somewhere like this. And there was a little team from the Vineyard Church in the United States that came along. And I got zapped by the power of God. Didn't really have anything to do with the guy that was on stage. I just came along there. I had an open heart and I encountered Jesus. And it was so powerful. My life has never changed. It took me on this new tra- trajectory. It's a hard word to say. And it took me on this new, I won't even say it again, on this new path, on this new journey. And you know, I felt something totally changed within me. And I knew that I'd received something, I'd received someone that I could give away. Do you ever feel that, that you've received someone that you can give away? You know, I've been going in ministry for over 20 years, well, probably 30 years, actually, including being a youth pastor. And recently, I was starting to get a bit tired, and I, I thought to myself, I need to take a sabbatical. And, and I thought of the time that I first encountered God, and I thought of other times that I've had these amazing encounters with God. And I thought, you know what? I just want to encounter God again. I just want to, I want to hang out with Jesus. It doesn't mean that I don't pray, because I, do, I pray, and I read my Bible, and I go to church, and I worship. But I thought, I want one of those special encounters you know where Jesus comes, and you know it's just you and him, and he just comes and speaks into your heart. been going in our church, we're celebrating our 20th anniversary um, um, next, next month, and uh, we're going to have a big party as well. And I thought, you know, to take me into the next 20 years, I'm 53, so I'm really hopeful, you know, 63, 73, yeah, um, I thought, I, I just want to encounter Jesus again. So I'm on my sabbatical, and I'm, I'm saying, Lord, what do I do to encounter you? I was Googling, where do you encounter God? You know? <laughs> Seriously. And at the same time, I'm reading through my Bible, and I come across this beautiful, familiar story, which I'm going to read to you, of uh, Jesus meeting the Samaritan woman. And I want to read you the story in John 4, verses 4 to 26. Now, Jesus had to go through Samaria... So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, you're a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman asked, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and flocks and herds? The woman... uh, Oh, lost my place. "'I have no husband,' she replied. "'Jesus said to her, "'You're right when you say you have no husband. "'The fact is that you've had five husbands, "'and the man you now have is not your husband. "'What you have said is quite true.' "'Sir,' the woman answered, "'I can see that you're a prophet. "'Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, "'but you Jews claim that the place "'where we must worship is in Jerusalem.' "'Jesus declared, "'Believe me, woman, a time is coming "'when you will worship the Father "'neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem.' You Samaritans worship what you do not know, we worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. They are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and His worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. When He comes, He will explain everything to us. Jesus declared, I who speak to you am he. Isn't that a powerful story? This woman didn't realize this, but she was sitting with God. Isn't that incredible? Here's this woman, this woman that was sort of known as as being a bit loose, I guess, in the town. She would had all these husbands, and and she was living with a guy. It would have been a real scandal. She was coming in the heat of the day, theologians tell us, because she didn't want to mix with the other woman. She was probably a bit of an outcast. And she didn't realize it, but she came and she met with God. God had come to that well and met her that day. I read this in John chapter 4 during my sabbatical, and I thought to myself, oh my goodness, I want to go there. I want to go to that place. So I, I started Googling, you know, is, whereabouts is Jacob's well? And I discovered, obviously, it's in Israel. And I discovered that it is in the West Bank, and it's still there. They know exactly where it is. And it is the most accurate place or the most reliable place that you can go today that they 99.9% know that is the place that Jesus was. Everywhere else, you can say, well, we think Jesus was either there or he was there. He he was in that general area. But with Jacob's well, they said to me, you can't move wells. And that well has been known for 6,000 years. Same well's just been sitting there. And it's in a place called Nablus. And Nablus is in the uh, Palestinian part of of, uh, the occupied territories of the West Bank. It's a place that people don't like to go. And it's got big signs that say, Israeli citizens are forbidden to come in this area. You may not escape with your life if you come in here. So real big signs. My tour, so so Liz and I decided we're going to go and do a tour of Israel. And the main place I wanted to go was Jacob's well. I thought, I want to stand in the place where Jesus was. I want to sit by the well and I want to imagine that I'm sort of like that Samaritan woman. And I'm just encountering Jesus. I just want to be there. I just want to see what it would be like to be there in that area. Now, we went on a tour, but none of the tours went to this place because they see it, see it as being too dangerous. It's been a place I discovered where they've made bombs and, you know, they've equipped suicide bombers and all that sort of stuff. Um, so it's not a, not a place that lots of people go. But we decided on one particular day we'll go, and I'm just going to show you a few photos that are going to hopefully come up on the screen. We drove into this area, and um, we'll start right at the other end, if that's okay. So the first ones are like a big guard tower. As you come into the area, there we go. You've got these guard towers, and you've got sharpshooters that are the IDF, the Israeli Defence Force, and uh, they're protecting the area. Then you come a bit closer into the area, and uh, it's right next to a refugee camp. It's re- really, um, really uh, run down. We saw in one part, just as we were approaching the town, there was a dead cow just lying on the footpath, and people were chopping into it. Apparently, that's the way they do their butchery. They don't take it out the back. When we drove past, there were all these chops that were hanging up outside the shop. So it's a pretty, pretty rough sort of a place. But then in the midst of it, we came to this beautiful Orthodox church, and we came down the steps. We'll show it there. This is my wife, Liz. It's just absolutely beautiful and you come in and this whole area has been decorated by the Greek Orthodox priest that uh, is there in the church. He's in his 80s now, but every painting, every icon that's there has been painted by this 80-year-old priest. And it is all to do with the fact that this church has been built over. They build churches over everything there. If Jesus, you know, stopped and blew his nose, there's a church there that they put up and, and you know, the church is everywhere. This happens to be a nice church. Some of them aren't quite so, so nice. This is a beautiful church. And we were the only people that were there that day. And then at the very back, you go down some stairs and uh, there you can see the entrance to the stairs. And as you go down the stairs, you come and you see this well. And there it is. There's the well. Uh, It's got the the round um, container at the front of it. But it's a well. It's got that uh, bucket on the top there. It's 40 meters deep. So it's really deep. And so the guy will come over and he'll tip some water down. And you wait for a few seconds to hear it go right down to the bottom. And you notice that the woman actually said to Jesus, this is a deep well. You've got nothing. How are you going to get the water out of this really deep well? Now, uh, as you look down... Uh, it just goes just into blackness, obviously, and you see rope marks all around the side. This well was dug by Jacob, and I've shown this to engineers, and they have no idea how he dug a 40-meter well 6,000 years ago. I mean, you know, this is, this is a long, long time ago, but this is where Jacob... Uh, Jacob fed his uh, livestock and fed all his family. And for thousands of years, this well has been continuously used. you know something amazing about it? The water is absolutely pure. We were able to drink. He said, have a drink. It's absolutely pure water. And uh, those a couple of people were with us. They drank the water. Nobody got sick. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. So right there, Jesus sat. I tried to sort of touch as much of it as possible because I don't know, you know, what party actually sat on. And so I sort of tried to cover areas. There we are. I was perching on the side. Uh, That's not the Samaritan woman there. That's my wife. She's a woman of good repute. She's only got one husband, so that's as far as I know, and that's me. And um, so, yeah, it was just incredible. And then all around the side, there's these beautiful paintings uh, that have been done by this amazing priest. And... uh, then afterwards, uh, I, what I wanted to do was I wanted to meet some Samaritans. I Googled it. Are there any Samaritans left? They're still there. Yeah. Thousands of years later, there's a community. The lady, uh, we, we went up to uh, Mount Garrison, which is referred to in the story, and I'll tell you about that in a minute. Um, we went up there, and the lady told me there are 841 Samaritans in the world. Isn't that incredible? They know exactly how many there, they are. And just to, just to let you know a little bit of the cultural background, Um, just so you have an understanding. The Samaritan woman said to Jesus, why are you asking me for water? And the reason she asked that was, first of all, she was a woman and men didn't talk to women. That was the first thing. The second thing was that uh, she was a Samaritan and the Jews didn't speak to the Samaritans. And the reason for that very quickly is that the Samaritans are, are Jewish people by descent. They've probably got a bit of mixed blood in there, but thousands of years ago, they broke off, through a theological uh, disagreement. And the main disagreement they've had over the centuries is the place to worship. And so right next to this little town of Nablus, which used to be called Shechem, there are two mountains. There's Mount Ebal and there's Mount Gerizim. And Joshua, when he first brought uh, the children of Israel back from captivity, he stood on Mount Gerizim and he declared out blessings and curses, and they worshipped at the top of the mountain. So the Samaritans say that Mount Gerasim is the place of worship. The Jews went on from there and they went to Jerusalem and God said to them, this is the place where you worship. So the Jews said, you can only worship, if you want to worship God, if you want to come into God's presence, you've got to go to Jerusalem. And the Samaritans say, no, that's wrong. If you want to worship God and you want to come into his presence, you've got to come here to Mount Gerasim. And still today, the Samaritans are at Mount Gerasim. So we went up to Mount Gerasim and they've got a temple there and they do everything According to the Old Testament, they slit the throats of lambs, and they told us all about it. They have all their the same sorts of things like in the Old Testament. Actually, I think I've got a picture of some Samaritans. There they are. There are the, the first two Samaritans that I've, that I've met. They were running the little museum that was there. And it was really interesting that in their little museum that they had, they had this picture that I'll show you. See, there's a picture that was lying there, this, the picture of Jesus with the woman at the well. And I said to them, you know, tell me about that picture. She said, I don't even know what it means. She said, a, a church group came through, and they gave us this picture, the picture uh, of a man sitting there and a woman, a woman next to a well. And I said, do you know what it means? She said, I have no idea. So I told her the story of Jesus. I said, do you know down, down in the village, down in Nablus, there's a church there, and there's a thing called Jacob's Well? She said, yeah, I've heard of Jacob's Well. And so I told her the story of Jesus coming and, and changing this woman's life. She'd never heard the story before. And she lives, you know, five or six kilometers away from the place. So Jesus, so the woman brought up the issue with Jesus and said, you know, you Jews, you're wrong. You know, you say that we have to worship in, in Jerusalem. We Samaritans know that we worship in Mount Gerizim. And Jesus comes back at her and he says in verse 21, Believe me, woman, a time's coming when you'll worship the Father neither on this mountain, so we'll be pointing at Mount Gerizim, nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation comes from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. See, Jesus was saying, a time's coming when you don't need to go to Jerusalem. You don't need to go to Mount Gerasim. You don't need to go anywhere. Because the Holy Spirit is going to come and live in your hearts. You can encounter God in your hearts. I didn't realize until I went to Jerusalem, you know, the Wailing Wall, the Western Wall? The reason that the Jews are wailing there is because that's the closest that they can come to the presence of God. Because they believe that the presence of God is in the temple, which isn't there. And of course, the wailing, the Western Wall is the only thing that's left of Solomon's temple. And that's the closest they can come to God's presence. Isn't it sad? And yet Jesus said, we can have his presence right inside us. And you know, although I went from here, my wife and I went from here all the way over to Jerusalem. We had this amazing uh, pilgrimage and we sat at the well. God said to me, you don't need to come all the way over here to find me. You don't need to come here to encounter me. I mean, it was special in the sense that it was amazing, but it wasn't special in the sense that God was more there than he is right here at Coast Vineyard. And it made me realize that that the Holy Spirit is within me. And that I don't need to say to people, you can go all the way over to Jerusalem and you can encounter God. Friends, God will encounter you right here at Arewa College. He'll encounter you at home. But it also made me realize that I carry something important inside me. And this is the next part that really struck me. The woman didn't realize that she was sitting with God, and she's having this conversation about water. In verse 10, Jesus said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. What? She's really confused. As he's speaking spiritually, of course. Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks this water, talking about the well, will be thirsty. But whoever drinks the water I will give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will uh, will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. She didn't understand what we know. But he was saying, when Jesus comes into your heart, when you come to follow him, when we have the Holy Spirit, we have living water. And the thing that I discovered all those 30 years ago is we can give them away. We have that that living water that we can give away to people. And that's what this church is about. We're here to party today, but overall, the party is about giving out the water. Today, we're giving out um, cupcakes and chocolate and all sorts of other wonderful things. But friends, there's something way more important that we have to give away. And that's the presence of God. You know, I came away just realizing how precious it is that I have this living water. You know, we were able to drink that water out of the well, but there's just, it's just water. It's just water. You know, you can take bottles of it at home. I thought I probably wouldn't get it past custom, so I didn't even try. But I thought, well, there's nothing in it. All it is is water. It's all it is. There's nothing special, there's nothing miraculous. It's just water. But what I have inside me is precious. And it is powerful, and it is supernatural, and it helps people to encounter Him. I remember after I'd encountered God, I could touch people and pray for people, and they would encounter God as well. I remember thinking to myself, I'm going to spend the rest of my life helping people to encounter God, because that's the thing that makes the difference. And friends, that's what your church is about. All of you probably at some stage have encountered God. And I want you to remember that we need to keep giving other people the experience of encountering God. Never stop letting people encounter him because everybody deserves an encounter with Jesus. Everyone needs an encounter with Jesus to change their lives. And as I said before, the church is the place to encounter Jesus. Matthew 18 verse 20, For where two or three come together in my name, there I am with them. Friends, there's this whole movement in the world at the moment, and I know it just totally comes from the evil one. And it's the, it's the movement of separating us and saying, you know, you don't need the church. And I read my Bible, but I don't gather together with believers. It is from the heart of the enemy. Because Jesus, comes to, Jesus has designed us to work together as a team. Matt gave me a tour this morning. Man, you've got a well-oiled machine here. You know, with all the setup teams. Hands up if you're any part of setting up or, or getting things. You know, look at all these people. Now, I'll tell you what, I really love Matt and Jacinda, and I think very highly of them, but they could not do this by themselves and still look as, you know, like the 20-year-olds they look like, you know? <laughs> they, they couldn't do that. They need a team. We cannot do this by ourselves. God has designed us to be a team. And that's where people get saved. Every person who is out there setting up kids' church and the you know all the flowers and the balloons and all the bits and pieces, when somebody gets saved, you take the credit for that. You know, when somebody encounters God, when somebody comes into this place and their life is totally changed, the whole team takes credit because it's a team effort, because everybody's working together. Everybody's doing it together, everybody has their gifts and abilities. Don't ever be fooled into the thought that we don't need church because church is not a building. It's the people, and that's where God's presence is. That's where God's presence is, where the believers gather. I believe that church is like an embassy. You see some of those um, action thrillers uh, where people are in Russia or there's some country where everything's a bit dangerous, and uh, they're trying to make it to the US embassy or the British embassy or whatever, and they get in there, they're safe. And friends, that's what it's like in church. This is is the embassy of Jesus. You come into this place and you're going to get helped and you're going to get healed. You know, this is the place to encounter God. This is the, the place where you get counseling. This is the place where you get a foot up. I often say to our team, you know, when the government has failed, when wins has failed, when all the benefits have run out, the last bastion is the church. That's the place where we don't turn people away. That's the place where we can actually help people that fall through all the other cracks. When people have said, your life is written off, you're good for nothing, there's there's still Jesus. That's what the embassy of God is like. You know, I want to tell you something that um, it is so important in this day and age with so many things going on in our society and, and so much stuff, you know, all the laws that are coming and stuff. I want to tell you the hope of the world is not Jacinda Ardern. In other places, last week I was preaching this in my church, and I said, the hope of the world is not Jacinda. I had to add Ardern onto it in this church here, because uh, you may be confusing me. I think, well, Jacinda is the hope of the world. (laughs) (laughs) Hope of the world is not Jacinda Ardern. It's not Simon Bridges. It's not, this may come as a surprise, it's not Donald Trump. Or Boris Johnson. The hope of the world is Jesus, and Jesus lives in you. You may think, well, that's pressure, me being the hope of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world, and then he said, you are the light of the world. Jesus' light shines through you. I want to tell you something. There's another funny thing that goes around. The first funny thing is, oh, we don't need church. We just sort of hang out at home and we do it ourselves. People always fall away from Jesus like that. It's just incredibly unbiblical. When people say, you know, I'm a Christian, but I don't go to church. Actually, a good friend of ours of... Um, the lilies and ours um, has written uh, wrote an essay on Facebook, and it said, um, "You don't need to be a Christ- You don't need to go to church to be a Christian." And other fairy tales. And I thought that's actually true. That's truth. You know, it's antagonistic, but it's the truth. The other thing is that we can be a church that doesn't grow, and that's a ridiculous statement. You know, people say to me all the time because our church is quite large. They say to me, uh, "It's not about numbers, is it?" I said, like, oh, yes, it is. It is all about numbers. Because if numbers represent somebody that is precious, that's going to hell, then that is really, really, really important. You know, imagine my, my family and I, and we've got sort of about roughly 10 of us now. Imagine we sort of go out on a boat, and that would be asking for trouble if I was out on a boat. But anyway, we're out on a boat, and say um, we capsize, and everyone goes in, and a, a rescue boat comes along and picks me up. And I say, you've got to pick up all my or my family? And they say, oh, no, 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 we'll just pick you up. I say, no, I want you to pick up the family. There's nine of them. You must pick up nine. They say, well, it's not about the numbers, is it? So yes, it is all about the numbers. If they're my precious family that are in their suffering, it's not good enough to say, oh, we'll just take one, or we'll take two, or maybe we'll take three. And what if the person says, oh, it's going to really wreck the culture of our, of our rescue boat? You know, they're going to be wet and, they're, they're, you know, it'll, it'll change everything. And it'll all be all, all messy and we'll have to adapt how we do things. You know, we, we've only got room for one. We can't extend what we're doing. Friends, we're talking about eternal life and eternal death. And while heaven and hell are realities, it is important that our doors are open so that people can, can come in. When our church was growing, at a certain point, one of our key leaders came to me and he said, just how, and he was cross, he was angry, just how big are you going to let this thing grow? And I came back and I said, well, just how many people do you think we're going to say they can just go to hell? Because that's what happens if you close the doors, even psychologically, you close the doors and you say, we've got enough, it's comfortable for us. You're actually putting up a sign to the community saying, you can go to hell. Friends, we've got to have churches like I know you've got, where there's always room for one more. In fact, we've got to be planning, and we've got to be scheming, and we've got to be praying, and we've got to be saying, How do we increase the numbers of people come? It's not about ego. It only makes these guys' job a hang of a lot harder. You know, they're not going to get paid anymore if, you know, we double the size of the congregation. The, the, the thing is about rescuing lost people. And I don't want to stand before God. And uh, God said to me, you know what? You had the potential to rescue this many lost people. And you only rescued that many. And I just praise God you're in a church that has the community in mind. That is saying, we have got something awesome to give away. And we want to um, we, we give away this living water that we've got. Do you know the primary purpose of the church is finding lost people? You know that? The primary purpose of the church is, is, is finding lost people. Jesus said his mission statement in Luke 19 verse 10. He said, For the Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. That's why we have, we have a good time and we, have, you know, we sing and we hear a good message and we hug each other and we have life groups and we you know, have movies and all that. And that's great, isn't it? It's fun. It's good that we have a good time. But that is not our primary purpose. We have fun along the way, but our primary purpose is reaching lost people, reaching this Hibiscus Coast, re- reaching as much of Auckland as you possibly can, stealing the occasional person from Grace Vineyard Church. You know, it doesn't matter where you get them, you know. Bring, them, bring, bring people in and, and bring them close to Jesus. Amen. You know, our job is to save lost people, and then we pastor them and we heal them. And then we train them up and then we send them out to be able to bring more lost people in. You know, it's funny. People often say to me, you know, it's very unbiblical to have big churches. I say, oh, is that right? Tell me. And they say, well, the original Acts church, they just, they just met in small houses. So you obviously haven't read the script properly because my Bible tells me that they met every day in the temple. And I went and visited the temple, or the area where the temple was in Jerusalem on on the Temple Mount. And the Christians used to uh, meet in this area called Solomon's Colonnade, which was the largest part of the temple. It had a capacity for 10,000 people. It is massive. And they met in the largest room of the temple. This massive, massive area. And we know that just on one day, they got 3,000 people on the day of Pentecost. They got 3,000 people. So that would have been a big job for all the ushers, wouldn't it? And Imagine all the bars of chocolates you'd be having to hand out that day. You know, and all the cupcakes, you know. Jacinda and the team be working overtime to sort of to, to help those guys get, in, um, you know, bring them into, into the church. It was massive. Yes, they met in their homes, but they met in the temple as well. They met publicly. They brought people in. They got to know people. Then they took them to their homes, into their cell churches, into their smaller places. And it says in Acts 16, verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and their numbers grew daily. daily." Every day got bigger. And that's the message of the gospel. (laughs) That while there's lost people, the moment every lost person in this whole area is saved, you can, you can sit back and relax. Say, we've done a good job. Hopefully, you will do that in the next six years. Reach every last person. But I want to close by saying this. I want to just encourage you that God has given you something very special on the inside. And that is his living water. And while we can stir it up here in church, God wants you to take that living water out into your workplaces, your universities, your schools, into the supermarkets, into the um, malls, Mount Eden, wherever you go, Mount Eden Park, wherever you go, God wants you to take the presence of God with him and change people's lives. I want to stir you up and let you believe that just as Jesus said, I can give you living water, that you need to know you can say the same thing to people as well. Same presence of God that was in Jesus lives in you as well. And I'm so excited by what's happened in six years, I can't wait to see what happens in 10 in this area. Because you are the hope of this area.